A number of years ago, the late Pastor Jim Boyce shared a pastoral staff meeting at the historic 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. And the staff pastors that day were talking about the problems they were dealing with. Uh, Three days before, a member of their congregation had been murdered in Philadelphia, and they were preparing for that funeral service. One pastor was also counseling a woman with cancer. She was depressed and suicidal. Another pastor was meeting with a young man who was diagnosed with AIDS. And another pastor had been called by another pastor in the city who wanted advice for a funeral for a stillborn infant. Uh, Later, Pastor Boyce himself was to visit with a pastor who was being forced to resign after 25 years of very good ministry in his church. And so, as you can imagine, in a staff meeting like that, these pastors were very heavy-hearted about all they were dealing with. In fact, Pastor Boyce himself said after the meeting he had to go out and take a walk just to clear his mind. Now, at times like those, it's very difficult for us to quote this verse, isn't it? And we know that all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purposes. See, when times are good, we can quote this verse very easily. When our jobs are steady, our families are doing well, nobody that we love is sick, there's been no death, then this verse rolls off our tongues very easily. But what about the other times? Those times when the tragedies strike, then this verse is very hard to quote. You know that one of the people in the Bible who had the hardest life was Joseph in the Old Testament. And you may recall as we preached through the life of Joseph that we discovered that Romans 8.28 is the theme verse of his life. In fact, it is parallel to what Joseph himself said In Genesis 50.20, at the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph said, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. By the way, isn't that the beauty of connecting the Testaments? That what is declared in the New Testament is illustrated for us in the Old Testament. And God knew that we needed an illustration, and so He gave us the life of Joseph. But the illustration is of a life filled with hardship and sorrow. There's an interesting book that Pastor Robert Morgan has on this verse alone. And he entitles that book simply, The Promise. The promise. And what a great promise it is. What I want to do this morning in our message is borrow four questions from my old professor, Erwin Lutzer, as we look at this promise and its wonderful application to our lives. And so would you take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 8. And this morning, I want us to just look at the wonderful promise of Romans 8.28. Let's bow for just a moment and pray, and then we'll look at all four questions. Lord, thank you today for what you have committed to us as your people. And thank you that it has particular application to the hard times, the difficulties, the pain of our life. 
And help us now to see how blessed we are, even in those times. For Jesus' sake, amen. Let's begin with question number one. Who is this a promise to? And the thing we have to understand is this is not a promise to everyone. There are two qualifying phrases in the verse, aren't there? To those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. And those two phrases describe Christians clearly in this context. So, this is only for those in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I think most of us would agree with this, that for many people, this is not the best of all possible worlds. Uh, Some of you may remember a pop singer by the name of Johnny Winter. He uh, authored a popular song that was entitled, Life is Hard. Some of you may remember Johnny Winter and his song, Look What He Wrote and Sang. Uh, Life ain't easy, it's a long, hard road. While it's dog, dog, eat dog, and survival of the fittest, so I'm told, no matter how you try, life is hard and then you die. And for millions of people, that about sums it up. They experience terrible hardships, tragedies, and abuse, and then making it worse, they have nothing to look forward to beyond the grave. There is no sense that all that I have endured is preparing me for a better life to come. There is no hope that the former things have passed away. Behold, all things I make new And there is no sense for many, many people of sharing in the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. But for Christians who love God and are called according to His purpose, there is all that Christ has prepared for us. Now let's look at the second question as we look at this verse. What is the meaning of of good. And let me put a few things on the screen this morning. Rich, healthy, popular, successful, happy. How many of you think that's the meaning of good in this verse? I think we know it's not. Most believers around the world are not wealthy, so it cannot be rich. Not all have good health, and so it cannot be healthy. Popular, I had a pastor friend of mine who traveled to India, uh, Delhi, and he said, if you are publicly baptized in Delhi, India, you are marked for violence, ostracism, and even death. And so it cannot mean popular. Successful? Well, Christians have endured tragic failure just as much as success. And then happy, well, we know the Bible does not promise happiness. It promises joy. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, joy. I think all of us here this morning know that happiness is related to the word happens. Happiness depends on what happens, but joy depends on Jesus. And what happens, as we all know, is not always happy. If you found this to be true, I found this in my own life, some of my greatest unhappiness came became because I was a Christian. In fact, in some situations, I would have been a lot happier had I not been a Christian. And so, uh, happiness is not the promise that God makes. 
But He does promise joy. And when I learned that, that joy is in Jesus and happiness depends upon what happens, it changed my whole attitude towards the circumstances of my life. And so as we look at this here this morning, what we have to see is the good is not earthly, it is not material, or it is not physical. Now, God often gives us those things, right? Amen this morning? God often gives us these things. We just heard from Kevin that those of us who live in America, we often have these things in a way that others around the world do not have. But that is not the good that is meant in this verse. What is the good? Well, the answer is found in verse 29. And next week we will look at verses 29 and 30. But look with me at verse 29 and notice that the answer of what the good is is found here. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. This is what we understand as the contextual principle of Bible interpretation. In our small group on Sunday night, as we have been working through the first principles, we've been studying the principles of interpreting the Bible. And context is one of those places where we look for clues to interpreting a verse. And verse 29 tells us the good is becoming like Jesus Christ in our character. That's what we must understand the good is. The good here is spiritual. It is that for which we were saved. It is the ultimate goal of making us, as the children of God, like the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, My old professor, Tony uh, Evans, has put it so very, very well in this statement. Look at what uh, Dr. Evans says. God is more interested in your development than your arrival. He cares more for your character than your comfort, your purity than your productivity. And when we all read a statement like this, immediately we don't like a statement like this, do we? Because we know there's no character development without hardship, is there? We know you do not develop the character of Christ without trials and problems and difficulties. But we know this statement is absolutely true because nothing could ever be greater than becoming like Jesus. And so that has to be the good. It has to be the good for which Jesus saved us, that we would be like Him. And that is what the all things working together for good are driving for. Now let's look at the third question this morning. Question number three. What is the meaning of work together? When he says, we know that for those who love God and are called according to His purpose... All things are working together for good. What is the meaning here of work together? 
Well, this is a compound word. It is made up of two words, with plus work. And literally it means work together with. And the idea in this particular word is that when, work, when things work together with, they cooperate, they assist, they help, or they profit. So the Bible is teaching us then this very important truth that we must never forget in the hard times of our lives. God can take bad things and make them contribute to His goal for us. That's the point. If God is seeking to bring about the greatest good that in our character and our development we would become like Jesus, then the Bible is teaching us this, even the things that are hard or bad or difficult and evil, God can take them and He can make them contribute to His goal for us. Now think about this. God is so much in control that the very thing that seems to harm us, He makes to help us to be like Christ. You see, because of our limited foresight, we often fail to see this in the difficulties of our life. I want you to listen to what R.C. Sproul, who had such a wonderful way of uh, describing and uh, explaining things, has to say about Romans 8.28. Listen to Dr. Sproul. If God is able to make everything that happens to us work together for our good, then ultimately everything that happens to us is good. We must be careful to stress here the word ultimately. On the earthly plane, things that happen to us may indeed be evil, and we must be careful not to call good evil or evil good. Yet God, in His goodness, transcends all these things and works them to our good for the Christian ultimately. Ultimately, there are no tragedies. Ultimately, the providence of God works all these closest evils for our final benefit. Now this is so hard for us to grasp, particularly when we watch a video like we saw. And we saw people suffering in unimaginable ways. And now as we look at that video, here they are giving praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. Just to reinforce what this passage is teaching. What R.C. Sproul said, let me share with you some words from pastors from the past who have said very similar things. Here's Pastor Augustine Aurelius. It is true that wicked men do many things contrary to God's will. But so great is His wisdom and power that all things still tend towards those just and good ends which He Himself has foreknown. And then look what Pastor John Calvin said. For as it belongs to his wisdom to foreknow all future events, so it belongs to his power to rule and govern them by his hand. And then look at Pastor Charles Spurgeon. What a wonderful way he has put it. 
Be thankful for the providence which has made you poor or sick or sad. For by all these, Jesus works the life of your spirit and turns you to Himself. I want you to notice how effectively that is said by Pastor Spurgeon. He doesn't say that we are thankful that we have poverty or thankful that we have become sick, or thankful that we are sad. Those things in and of themselves are evil things that beset us. But what are we thankful for? We are thankful for the providence of God that takes those very evil things that in and of themselves are contrary and wrong, and He uses them to work the life of our spirit and to turn us towards Jesus. That's what the Bible is saying when it says God works all these things for our good. Well, here's the final question this morning. Question number four. How much is included in all things? How much is included in all things? And I think you see the answer on the screen this morning. All things means everything. It's interesting, uh, this expression, all things, is one word in the Greek language. It's the little word panta. Panta, all things. And I don't have to say to you this morning, all means all, and that's all that all means, right? And so it's a reference to anything that ever has happened or anything that ever could happen. If I were to go through this room this morning and ask you about the very tragic things that have happened in our past, there would be many, many stories. And then think about the things yet to come before we get to glory that if we knew, we would say, Lord, take me home now because I don't want to go through those things. All of those things are included in the all things. But I want you to notice something very important. This uh, all things has especially three applications in mind. And let's look at them for just a moment together. Number one, This especially means our sufferings. Look again at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So this whole section is about the sufferings that we experience, very much like the life of Joseph in the Old Testament, that this verse is an illustration of. So the all things especially mean our sufferings. And then I'm so grateful the praise team read the verses at the end of the passage, which we will get to in just a couple of weeks, because it includes others' sins against us. Look down at verse 35 and verse 36 and notice what it says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger 
or sword. Many of those are things that other people would do against us. And so the all things have to do with the wrongs we suffer at the hands of others. I want you to listen very carefully to this this morning. No one can ultimately ruin God's purposes for our lives. That is a great comfort for each of us. No matter how much wrong may be done to you by somebody else, God is greater than that person. And God can and He will overrule the wrong that you have been done by others. And therefore, as much as you may be suffering, and as much as you may say, why did God allow them to do that to me? God can overrule that wrong, use it in your life, so that His purposes are accomplished in you. I don't know any other way to be free from bitterness than a confident trust in the sovereignty of God. If you don't believe that God controls all things and can even take the evils done to you and use them for your ultimate spiritual good, I don't know how you can possibly be free from bitterness, resentment, or grudges. But when you know God is in charge of my life, this person is not, therefore for reasons I cannot see right now, He has permitted this, that gives you an amazing peace where you can trust Him and be free from vengeance, hate, and bitterness because you know God is in control of your life. Now here's one final question. Do the all things include even our own sins? What do you think? Do the all things include the sins that we ourselves would commit. What do you think? I agree with my old professor, Erwin Lutzer, who said, it includes our own sins under one condition. What's the last three words? If repented of. Now think about this. God is so wise and so great and so powerful and so in control that even the very sins we commit, if we repent of them and learn from them, God can use them to contribute towards His goal in our life. Thomas Aquinas said this, Our falls make us more cautious and humble. How many think it's a good thing to be more cautious and humble? I think so. And therefore, if we learn from our own sins, and they lead us to be more cautious and more humble, even that can make us more like Jesus. Now this morning... As I bring this message to its conclusion, I want to ask a a little question here this morning. How many of us have any idea of what this 
tapestry is. How many think you can tell what this tapestry is intended to be? Uh, It's unrecognizable, isn't it? Uh, Let's be honest, it's a mess, isn't it? But some of you this morning are involved in embroidery. And you know that this is what side of the tapestry? It's the back side. We're looking at the back side. But when you turn it around and look at the front side, that's a beautiful image, isn't it? You see, in our lives are like that as Christians. Sometimes we're going through a trial, a difficulty, a hardship, and it looks just like a total, total mess. And we can't believe how any good could possibly come from it. But what we have to understand is in that mess in our lives, God is the master weaver. And He is at work using what is occurring that seems so contrary to us because He sees what He is weaving of our lives. There's a wonderful poem about this that I want to close with this morning. It is a poem that is entitled, Life is But a Weaving. And let me read it for you. Because if you are a Christian, this is what Romans 8.28 is saying to you. This is called the Tapestry Poem. And let me read it. My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors He weaveth steadily. Of times He weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget He sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttle cease to fly Will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why? The dark threads are as as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern He has planned. He knows, He loves, He cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave. The choice to Him. And all God's people said together today, Amen. That's the promise. That's the promise. Let's thank God for it. Father, as our heads are bowed, And our eyes are closed. We're thankful that on Compassion Sunday, when we have seen stories of people in unbelievable suffering, we have also 
heard the end testimony of what Jesus Christ can do in a life that turns to Him. And Father, if these people could give such praise and adoration and thankfulness to the Savior who has redeemed them, brought them to Himself, and used even their painful circumstances to make them into the people they are today. What then are you doing in our lives who have been blessed with so much and yet also have endured hardship, pain, and suffering? We confess to you what Believers through the ages have known that you are a sovereign God. You foreknow all things that are to come. And by your power, you control them. You direct them to the good end that you have in store for each believer. That we might be conformed to the image of God's dear Son, And someday, give Him all the praise for what He has done in our lives. I pray for that person right now who is questioning the circumstances of their lives. I pray for that believer who has had a reversal that has been devastating. Or some news that they never thought they would get. I pray for the one who is wrestling perhaps with bitterness a grudge, or perhaps uh, some uh, deep-seated wound or discouragement they have not been able to come to grips with. And I pray today that they might be able to rest in your goodness, in your love, and find the peace and release that only comes from leaving the choice and responding to You in trust and in faithfulness. Lord, we love You today. Thank You for what You are doing on our behalf. We claim Your promise. In Jesus' name, Amen.